And we have some breaking news out of Los Angeles. Bassist B.B. Dickerson from the group War and Eric Burden in War has passed away. B.B. Dickerson, of course, was on stage with Eric Burden and War during Jimi Hendrix's final appearance at Ronnie Scott's Club in London. B.B. Dickerson, dead at age 71. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and we are off to the races, ladies and gentlemen. We got our good brother back here. We just had a tremendous loss in the world of funk and soul and jazz and Latin music. A Southern California great has just made his transition, y'all. We've had a few in the last few weeks, and though I haven't done musical tributes on Psychotic Bump School in a minute, uh, these stories are always near and dear to my heart and to always keep us abreast upon these very developments is our next guest right here. You guys know this brother. He's an absolute genius of a music journalist and drummer right from Southern California. You've known him from appearances on TV's uh, Unsung. That's TV One's Unsung. And the good brother has joined us multiple times on this program. So I would like to welcome him back. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you there? Always in full effect. What's going on, Brother Rome? 
Oh, like I'll be sure in full effect mode. I'm doing all right, good brother. Man, uh, we lost B.B. Dickerson, the bass player of the funk band War. And man, when I saw your announcement about that, my heart sank, man. My heart sank. I mean, when you talk about Southern California funk lore, I mean, war is it. I mean, they, they are such a, a, an amalgam of the Southern California experience and musically, stylistically, they just took the, 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 the entity of funk music to entirely different places. Good brother Scott, they took it all the way to the galaxy. So, <laughs> uh, what, brother, what can you tell us about uh, what you know about B.B. Dickerson? Uh, I'm really fascinated because uh, I love this band, man. Uh, what can you tell us, uh, Mr. A. Scott Galloway? B.B. was uh, uh, actually every element of war. All of the original seven members of war uh, were uh, all singular, excellent, and uh, unfortunately, criminally unsung musicians. Um, you know, for them collectively to not uh, be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and and uh, and such yes. is really a crime, man. Um, yep. And other, I mean, they've they've had a very long uh, battle of trying to get in there, but you know, their their story is rife with uh, all kind of issues with their uh, their producer who owns the name of the group, and uh, which is why. You know, several members of the band now have to go under the, the alternate name, the Lowrider Band, right. uh, as their original uh, producer or one of their original producers, uh, Jerry Goldstein. Yes. War. So when just to get this out of the way right up front, you know, okay. anybody that goes to see War, the band that has the name War. Uh, they are not seeing war. What they are seeing is original member Lonnie Jordan on keyboards and vocals with a whole bunch of other, you know, I think uh, much younger cats. You know, um, I don't want to disparage Lonnie. He's an incredible musician and one of the original, what I call the Magnificent Seven. Right. But um, if you really want to get the true vibration of, of what we have left uh, of the band War, that is still touring and performing, you want to see Lowrider Band, which consists of Howard Scott on guitar, Harold Brown on drums, uh, the, the beloved Lee Oscar on harmonica. And uh, up until uh, a couple of days ago, D.B. Dickerson uh, you know, on bass. Now he hadn't been playing with the band for, for several years because he had a stroke, series of strokes actually which okay. sidelined him from the group. But, you know, he was always, you know, uh, considered spiritually a member. And, um, and, you know, the other two members that passed away many years ago were Charles Miller on saxophone, flute, you know, I mean, he was, he was that's, that's a whole nother episode we have to do on Charles, man. I really wish I could have met him. And, uh, and the great Papa Allen, who was their percussionist and, and, you know, Godfather incarnate, you know, he's much older than the other guys. And oh, okay. He was a real great leader. But um, yeah, man, two days ago at 10 a.m. in the morning, um, we lost B.B. Dickerson. I, I had the extreme pleasure of speaking with Howard Scott yesterday, and he broke it down for me in a very beautiful way. He said, you know, when the silent drums 
come or when you hear the silent drums, you know, he, just listen. And he said that, um, you know, BB died on the same day. He died on his mother's birthday. And so he felt wow. like her spirit came and got him. I think it was either his mother or his grandmother. It was one of the two, um, you know, came and got him on her birthday because he had basically been in a home and um, it had gotten to the point where he, I don't think he was able to really communicate much. I don't know if he was talking much or anything like that. He was just, you know, he was just here. And um, uh, it's a shame, man, because his musicianship, his bass playing uh, really anchored war. You know, he and Harold Brown, the drummer, you know, they had a serious, very unique lock. And, um, you know, BB was, uh, you know, as a person, some, the same way that he was as a bass player. He, you know, he did not waste anything. He didn't waste words. He didn't waste uh, space. He played exactly precisely what a tune needed. And uh, one of my favorite examples here about that is if you listen to one of their, you know, War was known for them long jazz stretched out tracks, you know? Absolutely. And, and on The World is a Ghetto, which we're, we're definitely gonna talk about that song too, but on another cut called City Country City that goes on for like <laughs> 13 minutes. Yeah. You know, BB's just in there solid. And he, and he just sits in that pocket and Charles Miller and Howard Scott and Lonnie get to take these incredible solos and he has that bottom locked. They didn't have to worry about Shaq. Okay. Great. BB was something else, man. And um, um, I mean, I could just go on and on, man. The World is a Ghetto was was Wars. I mean, they had done two albums with Eric Burden and then just for some background and then uh, they split with Eric Burden and they did, uh, you know, their first album on their own, which was simply called War. And then they did All Day Music. And then they did The World is a Ghetto. Which hey, Can you tell us a little bit about Eric Burden? Uh, where How that connection formed? Because uh, Eric was there before BB, am I correct? Mm, well, Eric Burden saw War at a, well, they weren't even called War at that time. I think they were called Night Shift. Right. Uh, and they were playing at a, a club in LA and they were backing up Deacon Jones, the, the football player who moonlighted as a, you know, kind of R&B review uh, singer. Yeah, that's, and, that's crazy. And, yeah, you know, and um, and Eric came in with Lee Oscar, um, who he had uh, befriended uh, a little bit earlier and he saw the band, he liked them. He had just left his English rock band, The Animals, and he was looking to do something new. And that's in a very short, you know, version. You know, I mean, yeah. he, you know, he got up on stage and jammed with them, with uh, the uh, night shift that night. It was a great lock, um, and and he said, "Hey, I want you guys to, to be my band," and uh, and you know, it was one of the most unique groups at that time, uh, and even to this day, you know, to have this this English, yeah. very very legitimate, you know, rock and blues singer you know who had a, a serious growl and he gets he gets much respect in, in in almost the same way that like in later years that tina marie would i don't know if you would you, you wow. really didn't say that he was you know it's close not not quite as in the um 
culture as Tina Marie was. But I guess what I'm saying is that he was he was a truly legitimate uh, blues singer with a lot of a lot of attitude and his own very unique thing and his own unique way of singing, his own unique poetic way of writing. Okay. So, you know, working with War for him was a, a, a very incredible experience because, they, I mean, again, they became War after, you know, they joined him. And, uh, and, and that band was able to just, you know, uh, take him into some whole other places, you know, uh, and musically. Um, they were a locked unit. It wasn't like he had put together any different musicians from here, there, and everywhere. He got a, a band that was already well-seasoned from playing in, in many clubs around Southern California. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and they were very well-versed in, in everything, you know, jazz music, R&B music, blues music, rock music, um, you know, and, uh, and, and they, uh, you know, for two albums and, and I think a couple of tours uh, or, you know, uh, yeah, 1970. I mean, it was kind of a whirlwind time period. That yeah. But, but what most people know is the song Spill the Wine. That was the big hit that came out of that. But I would also steer people to listen to that entire album, uh, which was called Eric Burden Declares War. Yes. And then they had a follow-up record, which was a double album set called um, The Black Man's Burden, which was a bit more eclectic and kind of, you know, not really cohesive, but there's some real gems in there. And for all of you that, you know, love to go on YouTube, I also very highly recommend that you go check out a, some black and white footage of them in Denmark, I believe, doing a version of Spirit Live. That is devil. Yeah raise the hairs off your skin you know Charles Miller takes a a tenor solo on that bad boy that's incredible and it's just great to see the band I mean war uh I was talking to Howard uh yesterday and just giving him my deepest condolences and just talking to him as a a brother you know I, I didn't call him you know for anything but to you know uh give him my condolences about BB uh, and, but he, you know, he shared a lot with me and I told him that, you know, there, there's just no band, there's no other band like war, you know, oh. um, from them having Lee Oscar and Charles Miller as their saxophone section, which was basically a saxophone. I mean, as their horn section, which mm-hmm. was a saxophone and a harmonica, nobody, you know, there's no other horn section that, ah. that is like that. That's there's true. no other, no other band that, that did what they did with. Um, all the different styles of music and and how hard they represent Southern California and, and mm. the melting pot of cultures we have here with, with with particularly between the Black and Latino right uh, communities. Yep. Uh, but but always it, you know it, with the mindset and spirit of uniting all. But uh, that's the the cauldron that they pulled from. They pulled from South American music, African music, African American music and absolutely uh, and you know what yeah they were man and uh man that that's some incredible history there. but this is kcwg the truth.com's program's called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome we're talking to our good brother mr a scott galloway he's breaking down some war history y'all we're getting some war stories tonight we're paying tribute to the bass player bb dickerson who just recently passed away over Easter weekend, ladies and gentlemen, and Scott's just breaking it down for us. And brother, you, you are absolutely right. When I, I think about war and just California, man, how about bands like Santana, 
who also sort of had a, a, a sort of a mix, a cultural mix of people, of uh, Latin musicians, black musicians, singers. And it's hard for me not to separate those two entities from the early 70s soul, funk, jazz, um, mainly, I mean, just, just being able to fuse it into sort of a, even a commercial direction to commercialize it in a way to where, yeah, they had their hits, but they had chops too. Like you were saying with city country city, they're in, they're just in the pocket and Santana kind of locked in like that on a lot of stuff too. So do you ever, do you see any correlation between bands like war? Cause they are unique. Cause you know, we're talking about BB and I want to stay focused on that, but they are unique. But do you see any correlation between that, that analogy I'm making between those two bands and what that era kind of represented in terms of big band sounds? For Southern yeah. California, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, you know, Carlos Santana and and his brothers and family, you know, from Mexico, and you know, they they came in and did a, a another very groundbreaking thing, you know, with their fusion of of Latin and rock and Afro-Cuban uh, musics, and um, you know, and even some of the, you know the straight up you know Mexican culture and and uh, and pop music so in blues you know um carlos loves love blues and and as he evolved as a musician he really began to embrace jazz as well i mean he did a he did a really interesting record in the mid 70s called swing of delight where he was playing with herbie and tony oh, wow. williams and wayne shorter and, and all that stuff and even before that he was working with alice coltrane uh i mean yeah. carlos is a very expansive musician and so you're absolutely right santana war mandrill Ultra i mean there were oh. several bands in that uh, late 60s into the early 70s era that were you know known for bringing you know a a higher level of consciousness and culture to you know the rock platform which at that point you know had been you know pretty much like english rock bands and american rock bands you know doing the festivals and and of course you know Jimi hendrix came in and changed uh the uh, oh. shades, shades of all of that yes you know big time and, and for yes. the short criminally short time that he was here um Definitely. but yeah you know and and yeah so and, and i remember i was watching uh one of my favorite uh new podcasts that you can see on on youtube is a thing called the stick people and it's it's the drummers uh circle uh of lenny white from Return to Forever, Greg Arico of Sly and the Family Stone, uh -oh. Mike Clark of the Headhunters, yes, Michael Shreve of Santana, and I'm missing somebody. There's one other cat. Forgive me. Mm -hmm. um, they they interview different drummers, uh, you know, every episode, but you know they're always talking about how you know they, you know especially up in now what your neck of the woods, Northern California. Mm -hmm. There, there was a whole scene, you know, up there, Haight Ashbury, and and all where you know so many folks were coming together, and it was the days of Bill Graham, the great concert promoter, who would had the vision to put Jimi Hendrix on the same bill as uh, Santana, or to put Santana on the same bill as Miles Davis, uh, or put him with Taj Mahal, or whatever, you know, to really mix it up so that you know everybody was getting uh, exposed to. Um, you know, all kinds of, of roots music and the different fusions that came about because of people being exposed to all this different music, not even to mention some of the other clubs that were going on down there. So, 
Yeah, to go back to your original question, yeah, Santana and War and, and, and these bands that were heavily into culture and, and, and heavily into stretching out and improvising and, and not just doing, you know, basic verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge kind of tunes, you know, just uh, really stretching out yep. and uh, featuring culture and improvisation was, it was an incredible time period. It sure was. And I love how you uh, went there with Carlos Santana and the, the people that he played with as he expanded his musical palette, because it's actually, uh, for a long time, people thought that Jimi Hendrix was the main guitar influence over Prince. But Prince said at some point in an interview, it's like, I actually am more and most influenced by Carlos Santana. And if you listen to the way some of Prince's solos go, they, there's you can definitely hear the influence quite a bit. And... Yeah, he was very into the melodicism and the long note, you know, mm -hmm. like, no kind of approach to guitar soloing that was more Carlos. And Jimmy, you know, who was into a lot of effects and all that. I mean, Prince, the Prince soaked up everybody. Yeah. But I think his his root part, because uh, there are things that he did that were very Jimmy. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I think at the heart root of his soloing uh, approach, you can tell that Carlos was one of his very first and most uh, powerful influences. Absolutely. Well, uh, I've been really looking forward to uh, this portion of the conversation with you, uh, good brother. When I was a child, uh, A. Scott Galloway, a very long time ago, ladies and gentlemen, once upon a time long ago, uh, DJ Rome was a child. <laughs> and the, the, I had shared in a previous uh, segment, I don't even know if I did it on this show, but the first record label I ever saw in my life, A. Scott Galloway, was the 20th Century Fox label, the record label. And it was two artists. They were on the same label. And I didn't understand it, but I, I just loved those labels and just watching them turn on the family console when I was a child. The very first album I ever saw was Barry White's. I got so much love to give. And mm. I woke up one morning, it was playing on the family console. And the second one, A. Sky Galloway, listen to this. The second album I ever saw was Ahmad Jamal's 73. And, All right now. Yeah, and he had a cover, the very first song on his uh, album. I didn't understand music back then, but this is what drew me forever to Ahmad Jamal. He did a cover of The World is a Ghetto. Mm. And I don't know which one I heard first. I don't know if I heard that version first or War's version first, but I loved from that day on to this day. I love Ahmad Jamal and God bless his soul. I believe he's still with us. And Yes, he is. At some point, yes, sir. And at some point, I know it drew me back to the original with uh, the band who created that gem of a masterpiece, The World is a Ghetto, and album, one of the best-selling, if not the best-selling for that time period. So, A. Scott Galloway, can you tell us about uh, The World is a Ghetto and B.B. Dickerson's involvement with that stellar, classic piece of work? Oh, man. Well, first, um, I will say, like I said, um, they, they, they had done the two albums with Eric Burden and they were, you know, making their way into, uh, the consciousness, you know, first album war, you know, really had no hits on it, but it was, you know, their, their first statement without Eric, very, uh, solid record, but, you know, definitely the sound of a band that was, you know, kind of thrown into a situation where they had to try to start figuring out who they were going to be as a band. Uh, you know, second album, All Day Music, they, you know, 
sharp turn to, you know, definitely compass point. They knew where they were headed. You know, that's the album that gave us all, all day music and it gave us uh, Slipping into Darkness um, and Get Down. Those were the three yes. uh, most notable songs from that record. Although if you ask me, I mean, I, I also love Nappy Head, which was a great <laughs> Scott uh, uh, piece, you know, uh, featured him on guitar. He doesn't solo nearly enough for me. You know, he's a very also cat that likes to just be supportive, but when Howard gets to get up front, get out of here. And then also <laughs> uh, a boogie, straight up boogie piece called Baby Brother, which was the precursor to me and Baby Brother, which came later, but it's just mm -hmm. a boogie song that they did. Uh, I believe it was recorded live at the Hollywood Bowl and they tore the place up. You can either close the album with it. It's the one live song on there. <laughs> it's incredible. Wow. But when they got the world as a ghetto, they had they had spent some serious time at, I believe, Clover Studios is what it's called, in a down here, um, kind of somewhere, I think, I don't know if it's like Pasadena or something like that. They hold up in Clover Studios and they got really knee deep. And, um, you know, this was like the, you know, uh, still in, in Watergate days with, with Nixon and, and, mm -hmm. uh, Come on, war and and all these different things. We're going Vietnam War and and you know, black folks still you know, uh, struggling to come out of the, the civil rights movement and with some dignity and, and forward motion. And um, BB wrote this song, and a lot of people don't know that he's because again he you know most of the lead vocals and and stuff in, in War were done by uh, Lonnie Jordan or Howard Scott, and. You know, in those days, if you if you missed them on Soul Train or something, you know, that was it. You didn't, you know, where you would have maybe had an opportunity to see that this particular song was actually sung by B.B. Dickerson and he is the lyricist. And it's wow. such a, you know. Wow. That song is hard to describe. I was sitting here, you know, before this interview, man, trying to really figure out how I would describe why this song is so penetrating because it's a mood and it's just you know the statement the world is a ghetto is mm. like something that makes you feel like you know yeah the whole world has some really deep unsolved issues you know mm. that wow. is a cloud that's over us all the time mm. and, um and of course you know you have a lot of los angeles specific uh, references in there, smoggy eyed, you know, back then, I mean, Los Angeles was, was probably one of the most air polluted cities in the United States. And yes. All this stuff, you're walking around and you're, it's just the blues that you're feeling, but, but war was always that band that made you feel like whatever you were going through, we were all going through it together. Is But for me and for you, the world is a ghetto and, and, and we're going to get through it. Walking down the street, smoggy
was, you know, I called him a prophet when I when when I wrote about him yesterday because that song is just so universal, you know. Sure uh, is. Specifically done in Los Angeles, but it could refer to, to people in Russia right now. It could refer to, you know, right. people in, in Africa right now. Everybody can relate to that message. Mm. He sang the mess out of it. Um, uh, you just really feel it. And then it dovetails into, again, I said earlier, Charles Miller, one of the truly unsung saxophonist wind men. I mean, he played baritone, tenor, alto, soprano. He played flute. He played, you know, all sorts of wind instruments. But on this one, he plays a tenor solo that will just break your heart. Mm. And um, one thing I, I, I also people to pay attention to is that there's one point in the solo where the engineer uh, overlaid another solo that Charles had done. So it's like two Charles Millers, you know, coming at you. And if you have a really good sound system, you know, you hear this interwoven saxophone solo that goes from being one brother to two, you know, hmm. and uh, it's, it's just such a, such a deep piece. Sure um, is. You know, my, my father used to play it all the time. And, and, and the last thing I'll say is that for me, man, like you talk about childhood memories, mm. we moved to L.A. when that album came out. I, I previously I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then we moved to Rialto, California, when I was three. And then we moved to L.A. And um, while we were in Rialto, my parents had gotten a copy of the Eric Burden Declares War album, which is a very deep album. And I was already been listening to that. But when we got to LA is when the war, the world is a ghetto came out. And we had a tree in the front yard of our house at that time that I used to climb up. I mean, I, I've, I've always loved music, Rome. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, I'm seven or eight years old and I've, recorded the world is a ghetto on a cassette tape and i took my little portable cassette player ah. up in the tree and my favorite song to listen to looking out because when i when i climbed up the tree i could see like hollywood in front of me and downtown mm. LA to the right of me and you know uh whatever's to the left kind of like some of the valley stuff westwood couldn't see the ocean quite but mm -hmm had this panorama and um i would I, you know particularly as the sun was going down and i saw the cars going up into hollywood and i would sit there and listen to that song and just wonder about what being grown up would be like what it would be like to go out into the night and just explore everything you know and that's just has the the vibe that, that really takes you inside and and makes you introspective makes you kind of long for things to be better wow. and um, my goodness man bb mm. wrote it he wrote that he sang it and i i think you know uh, uh you know again incredible bass player i mean you think about galaxy think about low rider you just think about all the different classic bass lines from mm -hmm. the music of war but i still think that the shining diamond of what he contributed to that band and to the Pool of black genius as Layla Hathaway and well actually Donnie Hathaway said was that song the world is a ghetto everybody can relate to that song sure can I mean wow 
I told you, y'all, we're we going to get some war stories tonight. That is incredible. Scott, I looked for footage after after I discovered from looking at your posts that it, it was B.B. who sang lead on that song. See, this this is the kind of thing, ladies and gentlemen, that you just don't know. Like the shock that I uh, when I found out that Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band uh, Loveland was not sung by Charles Wright. It was sung by the drummer, James Gadsden. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. And this blows my mind just as much. B.B. Dickerson, the bass player, wrote and sings lead on The World is a Ghetto. All this time, I thought it was either Lonnie. Actually, I thought it was Lonnie all this time, Scott. And I was a lot of people at, did. Yeah, and I'm looking for, I was looking for clips of B.B. singing live. I was like, okay, there's got to be a Soul Train clip here somewhere. Maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. But I was looking for a Don Kirshner rock concert. I was trying to see if I could see this. And I couldn't. And I'm like, how did Scott find this out? But if you're talking to Howard Scott, um, I, I guess that's one way to tell. Didn't you say something about a, a documentary that they put out as well? Did Do they cover this story? Oh, listen, as they, as you, you have to. Yeah, you got to go back and look at my thread again. Um, uh, first of all, like I said, War was truly one of my very, very first favorite bands yes. so as i got into the industry and and everything you know i made it a mission to uh to meet them and you know and i i did mm -hmm. I, unfortunately by the time i met them um charles of course had already you know he was murdered actually charles yeah. was murdered in in the uh late 70s stabbed mm -hmm. death over some a very strange situation there's actually a, a book about war that's out it's very problematic it was not very well written but there's a lot of good information in it if you know what i'm saying i mean sometimes books can can be kind of poorly done but there still be a wealth of information in them mm -hmm. that is the case with the book about war and i'll try and and, and find the title of it before we, before we get off Okay. Um, but yeah, so I met them and, and um, I interviewed them several times, you know, individually, collectively. Um, I, 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 was, I was saying I didn't meet Papa D either, but um, mm -hmm. I think I saw him in concert uh, with them a couple of times, but didn't meet him. Okay. Um, wait, okay, so I've gotten off track. What, were you, what was the question? <laughs> well, it was like, how did you find out it was BB singing lead on that oh, song? I can't, okay, I can't yes, find yes, footage from, of it. From interviewing them. And and when I interviewed them, he was still alive, and I got a, a whole vibe from him on that. But what you got to do is uh, on YouTube now. You can just you know pull up "War." The world is a ghetto, and there's a a, a my a, a new friend of mine, a very very good cat man. I think his name is Daniel Mesa, M E Z A. He started a very in depth uh, uh, video documentary about war. And as I was saying earlier, because of the original producer and owner of the trademark, you know, they've had a hard time getting that, uh, you know, being able to do anything with that documentary. I think he had it up on mm -hmm. YouTube. You know, the okay. actual documentary was up on YouTube. I'm going to tell you about that in a second, too. It mm -hmm. was up for a minute, you know, and then they had to take it down. You know, you just wanted to show it to people. And of course, as soon as it went up, I, the spirits guided me and I kind of stumbled on it while it was up there. I looked at it, it blew me away. I got in contact with Daniel and we've become very good friends. But within that documentary, the very first piece of music that they show you, a live version of Lowrider Band performing The World is a Ghetto. Mm -hmm. And 
Rome, man. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Easter to you because Thank when you, you go and look at that video, um, it, it's going to blow you away. It, it's um, wow. It, it, that song alone, and and and. And you see the documentary, the way Daniel did it is the, the documentary just starts cold, you know, doesn't start with credits or anything like that. It starts cold with somebody interviewing BB and he's talking very vehemently and he's pissed off about um, like some of the kind of things I was talking about earlier, how the band is just so unsung. People don't really, a lot of people don't really understand their depth. Um, and he was very um, kind of suspicious of certain people that were in their camp at the time, you know. So he's kind of coming from a who's really down, who's really down with us, with our message. I don't know about you over here. I mean, and he just, you know, you over there, you you all right, but you, I'm not sure about you. You know, hmm. he was, you know, he did not hold his tongue, you know. Hmm. And uh, he was kind of that hardcore, one of the hardcore spirits of the group. And you know, um, I'll put you in touch with the, the the band at some point so you can actually talk to them if you want yes. to. Oh man, kind of so stuff. But it's um because I don't really feel like I can go much further uh, without feeling very uncomfortable about it because, you know, um, you know, BB, no, you know, was was a special cat. Absolutely. <laughs> and and especially coming from where you're coming from with you know psychotic bump school and, and your very deep analysis of, of issues as they pertain to psychology and and all of that well i appreciate you know, that I mean, um, he, he he was different you know and, and he was the first member to leave yeah, yeah so i was saying that bb was the first to leave he, he left of his own accord charles was murdered bb left and um and you know, he, he wouldn't stand for things. You know, he, he was very sensitive uh, about war and their legacy and what they stood for. And, um, mm. you know, not long after the point when, when BB left the group is when they kind of went into this very questionable period where they became war, the music band. This is when they did their disco mm. tune, um, Good, Good Feeling, and, you know, some other things that were just really not, yeah, you know, in the spirit of where war was originally coming from. Right. Uh, yeah. So, right. well, you, you've given us something. You, you've given us a lot, good brother. And yes, I would love that link up because this band is incredible. Uh, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're chopping it up with the good brother A. Scott Galloway coming out of Easter weekend. Talk about Easter eggs, ladies and gentlemen. A. Scott Galloway is giving us some Easter eggs about the band War. Uh, we're celebrating the life and music of this stellar, stellar contributor to this band. B.B. Uh, Dickerson uh, made his transition over Easter weekend. Uh, passed away, y'all. Bass player uh, holding it down in the in the grand fashion of understated bass players like uh my man marshall and the ohio players or or even paul jackson of the headhunters like we were talking about before the interview started just cats who were just really solid super super solid laying down that groove and holding it down you know and i'll even go as far as to say as robert cool bell in the early days of cooling the gang how about cordell Ma boogie Mason of parliament Funkadelic, just holding it down not popping and slapping and you know we love that stuff too don't get it twisted we love us some lewis don't get it twisted don't everybody get it. ain't able that's why if, some people do the traditional line and other yes yes very solid yeah Woo, lewis. yeah 
Yeah, but yeah, but you got to give it up for BB though. But uh, before we let you go, man, um, th this is this is great. Um, I had the privilege one time in my life, probably back in two thousand five. I had shown up to the backstage of the Temple Bar. I was working there at the time. Shouts out to Lou Yannetti uh, of the great Temple Bar in uh, West L.A., Santa Monica area, I believe. Um, I was uh, getting there early on a Saturday before the live performance for the night. And as I was locking back up, there was somebody, excuse me, as I was pulling up, there was somebody that was knocking on the back door of the venue and it looked like he had knocked for the last time because he was heading down the steps at that time and then he ran into me i said hey how you doing uh did you need anything uh, and i told him you know i work here and whatnot and he said hey i'm lonnie i was like oh snap uh this is lonnie jordan and they were playing a gig that weekend so he was there early to do a sound check real gentlemanly cat man and um I love this band. So uh, before we let you go, uh, I know there's some things that are, you know, kind of somewhat sensitive. Uh, but can you give us even if it's just the commercial version of what's out there as far as what what is the the issue between the the band? Because uh, Lonnie stayed with the Jerry Goldstein, Eric Burden uh, name war. But yeah. the, the, the other guys comprise the nucleus and sort of the the, the heartbeat, if you will, of you know, the lowrider band that represents the guys that really made the music in the first place. Uh, can you share a little bit about how much you know and how much you can share about what's happening between them and Lonnie Jordan? Uh, you know, Lonnie uh, was the baby of the group. He was the youngest member. Um, and um, and keyboardists in general um, in, in R&B bands tend to be the ones that have the most uh, kind of uh, additional musical acumen, you know, because they play keyboards and, and all that they, they, you know, if you think about Chris Jasper or Larry Dunn mm. or Kevin Tony or Bernie Worrell, you know, a lot of times the mm. keyboard, is the guy in the band that has the most, you know, kind of musical acumen and Lonnie also being the youngest, I imagine, you know, um, this is, this is truly just me intuiting now. This is not fact. This is not anything. This is my intuition about things. Okay. You know, I'm sure over the years, you know, um, you know, he kind of had to deal with a, a, a lot of different things because everybody else in the band was older and and uh, and and whatever could have transpired, as you could imagine, with that dynamic within a band situation and decisions and all of that. And he's also, you know, like you said, very gentlemanly. His personality is a fun guy. You know, I like Lonnie a lot. Um, but, um, and the, you know, the other guys in war, I mean, you know, like I said, they, you know, they're from, you know, around here, around the way, man. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they, were, yep. they, were, they were, you know, relatively rough customers. It's funny, you know, Digital <laughs> Underground. Digital Underground has a song called It's a Good Thing That We're Rapping. And I think that you might, mm. you know, and do have some of that reward. <laughs> I don't know, man, but nice. I, I digress. Right. Anyway, yeah, Lonnie was the one that, you know, this was most amenable to like, you know, yeah, I'll stay here because Jerry had to have somebody from the original band to actually, you know, to 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 really be able to make it work. The fact mm -hmm. that they still had the name and and all of that. So Lonnie, you know, uh went with him and the other guys were 
rebels and said, no, you know, we're not staying under these conditions or we don't like, you know, whatever's going on with, you know, him controlling everything and us not getting, you know, everything that we deserve, whether it be money, whether it be credit, whether it be all power, whatever, uh, for whatever reason, Lonnie, you know, went and the other guys did not, you know, and now that he's the only Lonnie, he's the only guy with the unit called war, you know, obviously, you know, you know, he's the captain of the ship now, you know, <laughs> so right. you know, he gets to run things. And that is my kind of uh, just very, yeah, very intuitive version of what it is. The fellas can tell you a lot more. About Absolutely. It makes uh, sense. And, and I have talked to them extensively about that stuff, but I, I would rather you really get it from them and the other detailed stuff. But I do want to share something because you, you just blew me away talking about the temple bar because that <laughs> where I was, you know, I had known Lowrider Band and, and those guys for several years. Um, and I think uh, they were the last, if not the second to the last group to play Temple Bar before it closed. Went mm. to visit them and hang out with them backstage and, and everything. And do you know that they invited me to introduce them stage that night? Ooh, nice. And I, I wish to God somebody had recorded it. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't. I think cell phones were around, but um, they were. Uh, you know, they certainly. They certainly weren't like what they are now. Right. And uh, but you know, I tried to really get into that vibe, man. And uh, and I asked everybody to, you know, where are you from? You know, where are you from? You know, well, how about you? You know, well, all of us here in Los Angeles come from different places, and well, you know, I, I I can't remember exactly what I said, but I kind of did this thing, and I was just talking it up. And next thing I know, I'm hearing, you know, little rumblings of congas and drums and keyboard player holding the note on the organ, and right. <laughs> you know, uh, Howard, you know, you know, and. Uh, it was just, in and I, you know, of course I said, okay, you know, everybody, you know, put your hands together. This is the real war, you know, lowrider band. You know? <laughs> oh my God, man. It was yes. such, a, such a great moment, man. Um, those man. guys are so cool to me. They're so nice to me and they embraced me. And it was, like I said, from me climbing up that tree, listening to the world is a ghetto and really connecting with it to a moment like that, where they said, I mean, I had no idea. We're just backstage you know, chopping it up and they just dropped it on me. Hey man, would you like to introduce us on the stage tonight? Wow. Greatest honor. You know what I'm saying? Oh man. Okay. So I'm definitely gonna have to share this with Louie and Nettie now. Uh, Shouts out again, Louie and Nettie uh, for creating that amazing, what I call the amazing, most greatest three-headed hydra in the underground club scene was Temple Bar, Zanzibar, also in Santa Monica, and Little Temple. A. Scott Galloway, I got one for you now. All right, mm. we're talking about B.B. Uh, Dickerson and war, ladies and gentlemen. We're sharing some war stories, and uh, A. Scott Galloway just breaking it down. But that stage story just took me somewhere, and I have never, ever, ever shared this story, ever. <laughs> ever. Break it down. Ever. Be told. Man, it is. Um, we had... At the time of those Temple Bar days when I met Lonnie Jordan, uh, I also wrote the copy for the the um, weekly sort of newsletter that would go out in an email blast to let people know what bands were performing performing for the week. And I invested a lot of time, effort, and energy into it, make it look really colorful and with some dazzling, what I consider to be some really 
uh, eloquent wordplay. And it got the attention of um, these two wonderful women, uh, Shelly Otto, if I'm saying her name correctly, and Monica. I can't remember her last name right now, but she was formerly uh, the co-lead vocalist of the group Terry and Monica. She's currently the wife of Too Short, Bay Area, Oakland rapper. What? Uh, Terry from Terry and, and Monica no. is married to Too Short? Well, Monica is, yes. Monica, oh my God. I love yeah. this a whole nother those two records that they did, their two Man. albums priceless. Come on. Come on. Priceless. So Monica and Shelly uh had uh reserved a night at Little Temple over in Silver Lake. If you remember Little Temple, it's called the Virgil oh, yeah. now. Called yeah. the Virgil now. And so they had the good fortune uh to book George Clinton and the Sea Conspiracy at the Little Temple. So Sea Conspiracy mm -hmm. was sort of based upon, I think, the, the children of production at the time. Okay. And they were touring under that moniker. And so they saw what I wrote up in terms of, okay, we got George Clinton coming to Little Temple. That was a big effing deal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, have, to have George play and P-Funk play at the Little Temple. And, you know, Lonnie's no slouch either. Don't get, don't get it twisted. The Lowrider band is no slouch. So if they're playing at Temple Bar before they shut down, that's a big freaking deal. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. they, they, so, they so you're saying that you saw War, which is Lonnie and, and his band. I met, so yeah, let me make sure I got that clear. I met Lonnie backstage the night mm -hmm. that Lowrider Band played that you're talking about. I did not see that one. Okay. Yeah. I know these are two different nights, but so you're saying War played Temple Bar? No. Or did Lonnie play Temple Bar as Lonnie. a solo? Yeah, Lonnie, and he had a different outfit at the time, and I don't think he was going by War. It was Lonnie, and I'll have to look it up. He did. He did an album called War Stories. Uh, he did a solo record where he re yes. re recorded some of the War tunes, and he has some new songs and some covers, and it was right. a really nice record. I, I yes. Love yeah. Yeah. Lonnie. Lonnie's a cool cat, man. But Monica and Shelley saw what I wrote up for George's appearance at the Little Temple. And they came upstairs at the Temple Bar where I was working in the office. And I believe it was Shelly. In fact, I know I know it was Shelly. So, so shouts out to Shelly. She said, hey, you know, Monica and I were talking about, you know, we were going to introduce George, but we were thinking who would be a good person to introduce George? He said, hey, how about Rome? <laughs> they, they asked me to introduce George Clinton and the Sea Conspiracy at the Little Temple on the stage. So here I go, man. See, this is the part of some people know that already, Scott. Mm -hmm. But nobody knows this part. All right. You ready for this part? Break it down. But this is how naive I was because I was sitting in my car, nervous, sweating bullets. And by the way, before I continue, my good brother, uh, Al Jackson, my brother, he just passed away uh, unexpectedly uh, January 9th. Good friend of mine, my brother, my soul. Uh, he also was booked that night to be the DJ that night. And so he was already inside, I'm pretty sure. So we were both booked for the same gig. He was the DJ. I was the MC to bring mm -hmm. George out. So before I got inside the club, you know, parking was terrible. So I, I believe I was parked on Santa Monica Boulevard next to mm -hmm. near Vermont. And I'm sitting out on the street, Scott. I'm like, dang, I'm, you know, this is George. I, I got to come with it. I got to I got to do what I do. Because back in the day, I used to do this thing called funk lore. I would, you know, my, I, I have this little Uncle Funk sideshow thing that I do sometimes. And um, I would write out P-Funk, what I call funk lore. Because, you know, Pedro Bell was a beast. You know, I, I thought all that was George growing up, but that was Pedro Bell, you know, mm -hmm. 
writing all that comic and those crazy storylines and liner notes and, you know, comic book stories, Star Child versus Sir Nose, you know, that was Pedro Bell. OK. And so I was really into that. And I'm like, man, I, I got to come with it. So I was Scott, I'm sitting in my car knowing I'm about to go on stage in a few minutes. And I'm like, I got to impress George. <laughs> right. And I was like, because I, I intentionally, I remember what I wore. I wore the most beat up pair of blue jeans I had. They had a big rip in it and like the middle of my kneecap and leg was exposed because I was like, I'm coming funky. This is George. I had my black hat on that night and I'm sitting in the car, man. It's like, man, I got to come with it. And I said, well, wait, 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 wait. I'd be a doggone fool if I think I'm going to outdo George, number one, which you can't do. No. And just go up there and just show the love, bro. Just show the love. So I goes on stage. Uh, she, Monica actually brought me to the stage because she was sitting off to the side. And right next to her was Mike Clip Payne. I believe he was there that night. And definitely Gary Scheider was there. Wasn't wearing a diaper that night. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was fully dressed. He didn't wear the diaper that night. And I think um, maybe uh, Rob Bacon was was on the guitar on the other side of the stage but i was on the side where monica was and she's like hey rome it's time come up she said come up to the stage and here i am on stage next to clip and um gary scheider mm -hmm. and i just say hey y'all are y'all ready and they were like yeah they say are y'all ready yeah and so i'm like okay cool because i haven't taken a shower for weeks looking forward to this show and they cracked up. I was like, OK, I got them. So let me get off the stage before I mess it up now. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so I just started rolling through their hits. This is the band that did Chocolate City and Up For The Downstroke. And here they are, George Clinton and the C Conspiracy. And I was out. All right. Best night of my life. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't have a chance to meet George himself that night, but I backstage after the performance, uh, they were all kind of loading in, you know, just chopping it up outside. I, I went, uh, I think I was saying goodnight to Monica or whatever, and George was right there next to me. Uh, I didn't have the guts to extend my hand to say, hey, how you doing? And, you know, I I probably should have, but, you know, just to be that close, I was within inches of George Clinton, inches. And uh, he never knew who I was. Uh, to this day, he doesn't know. Uh, but he, what he doesn't know, that that was one of the best nights of my life, man. So to to hear your story about introducing the lowrider band it just brought all that back and you know again shouts out to my brother al jackson get emotional when i talk about it because we just lost him he was the dj that night and i was on stage as the mc and you know just a great debt of gratitude is owed to louis ryan and nettie ryan for creating those establishments that created those moments for both you and i scott it's amazing absolutely man uh, much respect and and uh, acknowledgement to to them you know, yes, I miss I miss a lot of that. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see the landscape of uh, nightclubs and things uh, once COVID lifts. You know, mm. a lot of places that, that uh, are not around, but there's also going to be some brand new spots. Um, I'll tell you another yeah. story at another time about something that I witnessed um, a couple of Fridays back. Mm. How the young people get down these days. I was like, OK. Um, but yeah, and, and while you were talking, I looked up that book. And so I told you there's a book about yes. war and it's called Slipping Out of Darkness, Story uh -huh. of War. Yes. And it's by, uh, the author is Bob Ruggiero, R-U-G-G-I-E-R-O. Mm. So uh, like I said, I, I was not um, impressed with 
the uh, way how the book was written, but there is still nevertheless a lot of really good information in there, some great quotes, things that they pulled from old articles and things um, that had been done on war. So um, nice, you know, for, for the fans that want to check it out. Absolutely. Hey, like I said, we coming out of Easter weekend. Hey, Scott Galloway's got the Easter eggs, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is absolutely beautiful. Uh, we're talking to A. Scott Galloway, and we're just chopping it up with some war stories and some California stories and just funk stories, man. I mean, war, man. One of the best bands. Uh, just just thinking about that era, just war, Cool and the Gang, Santana, Brass Construction, mm. Man Drill, like you said. I mean, all those were on, uh, well, not all of them, but three of those five or six I just mentioned were on United Artists. And it was just such a great, era man so bb dickerson to his families and loved one and friends rest in paradise man and uh go on up there and play some jams with uh brother charles and uh we'll all see you when we and get papa there. d allen papa d yes sir yes sir yeah they're they're waiting with, with his wings man um, yeah man the whole yeah, down man. situation you know because it's gonna be i'm sure it's a, it's a beautiful reunion well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guest for the evening, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to the good brother, Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. <laughs>